0: What's up, players? Welcome to Going Off Track. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> I'm Jonah. This is Brad. Yo, yo. What's up? <laughs> oh man. Uh, how's it going, Brad?
1: Uh, it's going okay. I'm doing fine. Yeah. I'm very busy. I guess I have. I keep saying that, but I'm enjoying my summer. I'm managing to uh, travel a little bit. You yeah.
0: Know, Anything? Exciting. Go to the
1: beach. I went to the beach, beach for a week. I'm That's gonna fine. go back down for a few days. Nice. I'm um, going to go see my mom's up in the Adirondacks. Very cool. It's a nice place to go during the summer. It's, you know, it's nice and cool up in the mountains. I don't get up there enough considering how nice it is.
0: Yeah. Me neither. Um, yeah, I'm just straight chilling. You're uh, about to run off to Europe like a fucking Going to pimp. Europe. Going to Europe. Going to Japan. Got some traveling coming up. So, uh, yeah. If you guys know any cool places to check out in, uh, I'm going to a bunch of different places. Actually, it's going to be way too complicated, I'm not, and I'm not going to list them all because it's super boring. And
1: you might actually, you might actually get taken to like some pretty awesome places yeah. on your trip. Actually, you, you never know. I mean, one thing about Japan, as you know, you get—they're the best hosts in the world. Yeah, I'm if excited. You have any sort of invitation over there; the people are going to well, make sure that you have a good time.
0: I just spoke with uh, Fat Mike. And he gave me a bunch of places to go in Japan. No,
1: no, 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 no,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Some cool bars. No. Some cool places where he said you can get tied up. (laughs) Um, But he also said that you can also just go and, like, hang out for, like, whatever, a hundred bucks. You can hang out and just drink and watch. He's like, it's fun. You don't have to do anything. (laughs) But you should check it out. So, I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Could be a a different side of Japan than I'm used to. Yeah. Um, not the Disney side. Not the Disney that side. That they're so good at. Yes. Uh, today on the podcast, we recorded this one a little while ago. Uh, Kevin Devine. Yeah. He's, uh... Sorry it took us a minute to get out, Kevin. But... Yeah. Kevin doesn't care. He's a nice dude. Best student. for last, right? Yes. Uh, Kevin, uh... Is kind of not really super good friends with him, but we have a lot of the same friends, and we kept running into each other, and then we finally made this happen, which I'm so glad we did. Uh, because this is a really good podcast and kevin is um he also does that band bad books with andy from manchester orchestra uh who's in miracle 86 he's had a ton of solo releases and he's doing this divinal split series thing right now where he does a seven inch with him and one of his friends so he did one with first one was with matthew Cause from not a surf who did one of our live podcasts Mm -hmm. second one was with uh i think with meredith grace from perfect pussy and he has a third one um with, I think, Tiger Straw. Yeah, I think that one's out. But yeah, so him and really cool bands doing Split 7 Inches. And you can go on his site and subscribe and just get them all when they come out. Which you should just do, because why not?
1: Subscribe to the 7-inch.
0: Yeah. That's I, pretty cool. I like the 7-inch clubs. I, I used, Chuck Reagan was one of the first guys I knew. I mean, I know Sub Pop did that one that was really famous. Yeah. But uh, Chuck Reagan did one maybe like 10 years ago. And it was great. Like, you forget about it. And every couple months, you just get a 7-inch
1: yeah, and That's hopefully it. it comes the same day that your, your bottle of wine comes that you subscribe to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I try
0: to coordinate all of my subscriptions. So you can pop so they that all wine come and, the same day and,
1: and put and listen to that seven inch on.
0: Yeah. So yeah, so check out his seven inch series, check out all his music, and yeah, let's get into it with uh, Kevin Devine. What is going on?
2: I no. didn't shower today. I'll be completely transparent Me with you.
0: Either. I didn't shower today either. I've
2: been cracking off a lot more, like forty-eight hour no shower oh, yeah. things lately. Uh. Wash, like, do the face in the in the sink, and <clears throat> away you go. Are are you
0: because when you're on tour, I imagine you can't shower.
2: It depends it de- on the mode of transport. We, right. are, I mean, obviously we can't. I can't even look at uh, a bus as like an expense. I can't even fathom. But there's all these like mid-level things now between a van and that. Those like. There's an RV company that rents out to bands now, and uh, those bandwagon things. Have you been on one
0: of those? I have. Those things are so cool until you realize they have no shocks. <laughs> no on shocks that. at all. <laughs> What's yeah. a bandwagon? What is it? It's like a converted kind of
2: box truck that they built um, bunks in, and like a kitchenette. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. somewhere between an RV and a box truck, kind of. Right. One small slit window. It's pretty, but but for a band that's a van and trailer band, yeah. it's
0: like, there are aspects of it. You can shower on board, which is,
2: we're really sticking to the shower theme. No, man, yeah, it's like, important. So,
0: someone drove a bandwagon. Oh, Minus a Bear brought one and they showed it Oh, to okay. Me. Uh-huh. I drove, I actually f- drove it, drove it when we did it. Really? Um,
2: and it, it, you somehow they have it set up so you can be just like a regular licensed driver and um, maneuver that thing, drive that thing. You should not be able to. Really? Oh, no fucking way. It's really like this close to
0: a tractor trailer or something like that. The uh, Kevin's making a sign that his fingers are so close together. Oh, I didn't realize.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like I a am. centimeter. <laughs> yeah, they're very, it's very close.
0: I'm watching so much Daredevil and... The, the blind thing on them. I feel like I need to explain everything on the podcast. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm not caught up. Be quiet. <laughs> I haven't started. I just
2: had this conversation earlier it's this so morning. Stupid good. Though. It's. I've heard it's great.
3: Yeah. It's. Um. Do you read the? Are you a
2: Daredevil fan? Yeah. Steven is yeah. a comic
3: savant. I'm half uh,
2: there. I, well, it's going and out.
3: Yeah. I, I. I. I'm very. I'm picky about writers. Yep. So with when Kevin reason. Smith did a run of Daredevil, that's when I got back in. That's
2: when I started mm-hmm. getting back into it too, because yeah. I felt like. He kind of referenced some of the Frank Miller stuff, yeah. mm-hmm. and I, I was into that.
3: I was too young, and it was too dark for me for the, oh, the, the Frank th- Miller. Then, you know, for sure, yeah.
2: I went back to yeah. it later.
3: Yeah. I remember buying like Frank Miller's, excuse me, Electra Assassin, and a week later there was a special on like the local news network about like children should not be caught buying this comic, and I'm like, crap, I bought it last week.
2: <laughs> I'm a badass.
3: Shit, I don't know, and the store sold it to me. Otna.
0: Dude, I bought the Body Count CD when it came out at my local record store because I was like a huge Ice T fan. It, like the long box Body Count with Cop Killer on it, nice. yeah. And just walked in, bought it, and then all that stuff happened way later. All that Cop Killer controversy stuff didn't happen until after everything was out.
2: I think that yeah, like it was like a time release thing. Totally.
0: Yeah. And where was your
2: where Where did you grow up? Cleveland. Cleveland. Oh, I thought so I knew you were in Cleveland for AP stuff. Yes. I didn't know.
0: So I grew up there. Then I went to school in. Upstate New York, and then I got hired by AP, so I moved back to Cleveland, ah, okay. which was like, I never wanted to move back there, but it was like <laughs> my dream job, and I was like 22, I was like, oh, uh, what do I do, I guess I... You do it. I guess you do it. Yeah. Don't book him. And where are you from?
2: Here. Uh, I grew up in Bay Ridge, which I now live back in, so it's like a weird, wasn't necessarily the plan, but I don't live in like my childhood home there but <laughs> um, which I assume you didn't either I you know, didn't either, no, on. no, briefly I, yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I grew up in Bay Ridge and then when we were I was 11 we moved to Staten Island and that's kind of where I started playing shows, there was actually a standalone, alone interesting hardcore scene in Staten Island in the 90s, there were like dozens of bands from there and like people would come, there was a period of time where touring bands would actually play at this place The Joint on Staten Island between like the p and playing it. What's the squat place in the Lower East Side that ABC No Rio? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Or like Sunday matinee shows at Brownies or Wetlands, too. So the, we had like a thing there where people would actually come play shows. And that's where I started doing this stuff. But
3: I'm fascinated
2: by it. Yeah, Staten I never Ireland. knew that. It was it, the, the dude, you know that place, Food Swings? Yeah. That guy, Freedom Tripodi, is the guy who opened that place. He's since sold it. Now I think it's actually gone, gone.
0: Is it or is it still there? That's the kind of place I feel like I go like every four years or something. Yes.
2: On like a Friday night <laughs> at two in the morning. Yeah, I need or like something. mac and
0: cheese and chicken fake chicken fingers and
2: their their the wings were the, the wings or the were, buffalo wings. The buffalo were the wings are pretty awesome. But that dude was the guy. He had like a mail order in his living room and he worked at the one record store. Okay. I remember like getting your record reviewed by him on the sticker in the store was like that was hot shit. That was like a big thing.
0: That's so funny.
2: Yeah, it was the, but so anyway, that was that's where I was. So Brooklyn and Staten Island went to school at Fordham in Manhattan. Oh yeah. And then moved back to in the Bronx, right? There's that's the main campus and there's a Lincoln Center one. And that's oh. where I was. But you I moved back to Bay Ridge 2000 lived in apartments either there or Park Slope since so brooklyn staten island manhattan my whole life
0: wow And i feel like i sort of heard of you through i guess brand new and jesse Lacey. Makes like sense. they were always kind of bringing you out and they and, still are yeah. yeah
2: he reps us he's been very they they have been very generous with that for sure for a long time i think the first time i had a band called miracle of 86 and we played with them on long island and a band called excite bike opened up like the nintendo game and it was like the backyard of a church. And I think we headlined that show. I think that was probably the last time we headlined a show over brand new. That was like
0: 1999.
2: Okay. So I've known him for for a really long time.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, um, yeah, they're doing stuff now, I guess. I've like always been kind of a tangential on the edge kind of. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I was...
2: When I first played with them, I was also like more provincial indie rock prick early 20s like my tastes had kind of moved away from i don't know that stuff i was into like get up kids and sunny day was a big deal and 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 like mineral and uh promise ring and then i kind of like the elliot smith balance sebastian thing happened when i was like 18 and i kind of ran in in that direction got into a lot of cat power and that kind of stuff Mm. but was still playing those shows i remember seeing brand new and kind of being like meh And then hearing the next record, the Deja record and being like, oh, this is good. Like he's writing songs from... I just thought he was always, I don't know if the right way to say it, better than his peer group. Like from this, from a... I don't know. There's stuff I liked. I thought there was more of that in what he was doing. And I think they've developed... Like they're such a different band than that first record. Now I kind of like the first record. I think it's like sweet when I hear them play those (laughs) songs live. But I remember then being like, you know, kind of half scoffing at it. And yet again, the world didn't give a shit about my <laughs> my assessment. And usually at that time, if I thought something was like, we were asked to play a show with the Strokes at the Mercury Lounge. And I was like, you know, I thought they were like Uptown, Rich Kid, hipster. Right. And then I was like, five years later, I was like, actually, these two records are perfect. <laughs> And millions of people were right, and I was wrong. So
3: I'm unfamiliar with backing the wrong horse. I don't know about that. You've
2: only always (laughs)
3: chosen correctly. God, I I think my favorite is Joan and I to strike anywhere show. And we're like, why aren't there more people here? Yeah. This is the best band in the world. They are a good band. You know what I mean? But it's that, it's that, I don't know, it's that. The opposite of the, of you know, it's the other end of the long tail.
2: <laughs> right. And best band doesn't always necessarily mean the band there's consensus around too. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that I love that like 30 people will go see.
3: And sometimes I like that because I don't like crowds or being around Yeah, people. right. You get to have it be your own kind of thing. But then I feel bad. I'm like, ah, these guys should be making more dough than just my stupid ass standing uh, right, in the corner. Yeah.
0: That's how I feel about every time I see Jake Bellows. I don't know if you ever listening to Need to Know? Yeah, he's he comes to like Mercury Lounge every couple of years, and it's so good. Yeah, and I'm always like, why is this always at Mercury Lounge? He's, I mean,
2: and you know whether or not I, I, I'm not equipped to say this about from a qualitative perspective, but I kind of. I have a soft spot for those dudes because I'm sort of one of those dudes. There's definitely a lot of places where I go and 50 people will come watch us play. And then there's other places where more than that will come, but not thousands of that. So it's like, I remember reading an interview with that dude, Cass McCombs, who seems pretty far out, but I I like a lot of his stuff. And he said someone, I think it was Pitchfork interviewed him and they were like, I saw your sold out show in San Francisco and your sold out show in New York. And he was like, yeah, but you didn't see the three weeks between that. And that's the reality for, there's a lot of places you'll go and Juanita's in Little Rock, Arkansas is not the same show as like Webster Hall, you know, (laughs) but Jake Bellows, I think is totally one of those people who you see him and you're like, this dude's songs are great. He performs so like, he's kind of effortlessly good. It seems like, and you're like, there should be tons and tons of people at this show, but
0: And you just did a super long tour because we met at this SNL after party. Which I
2: feel like I have to... I feel like I was super weird at that thing because I was overwhelmed by the kind of spectacle of it. I feel like maybe you've been... You got more accustomed to, like, the dual citizenship.
0: Yeah, it's pretty weird, but...
2: (laughs) Yeah, like, my buddy Casey Jost, who's a comic and has done a lot of video work with our band, his brother is Colin, who's on the show. And so... And weirdly, I went with Jesse from Brand New and his wife and my wife and Jesse's mom to see SNL because Jesse's wife did tailoring work for Lauren Michaels' wife. Okay. So there's all this like, or gar- girlfriend, wife, I don't know, partner. And um, so he had tickets. He asked us to go. We went. I reached out to you because I've talked a little bit on Twitter with Vanessa. Right. Through Laura Stevenson or something weird. All these points of triangulation. But then after the show was over, Casey and Colin were like, come to this party. And I don't know, the last time I was in like a bar like that
0: in the upper west side of Manhattan. At, at like two in two, the morning. Yeah. yeah. And I
2: was just, and then seeing you and seeing Jenny and Young, my, I was just oh, yeah, like. Yeah,
0: Jenny was, yeah, Jenny came. I forgot about that.
2: I was having so much uh, cognitive dissonance, like just trying to like, what the fuck is happening here? And trying to just keep it all level that I felt like I was like, oh, hi. Uh. ugh. <laughs> When talking to you, we should also
0: add that Casey is the writer of one of my favorite TV shows, *Impractical Jokers*. He is,
2: yeah, that's right, yeah.
0: And and someone recently asked me, though, do you ever get starstruck? And I was like. I was at the stand a few weeks ago and Sal from Impractical Jokers was there. Staten Island boy, I'm on yep. Senior Farrell High School. And literally, like, I couldn't go up to him. I was such a big fan. <laughs> and I, so awesome. I told Colin the next week, I was, like, I was like, he's like, you should have said something. He would have loved it. I was like, I couldn't. Dude, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is insane. But no, but that's
2: true. You get, I feel like it's more, it's kind of random people that actually end up having that.
3: Exactly. Yeah. I was at the, the Kmart up by Astor Place, and I was I was getting a prescription, and the guy standing next to me, also waiting, was Jeffrey Wright. Oh yeah, Whoa. who I love. He's like, great. Like he's such. Like he's one of those actors who, are like, you're just good no matter Everything what you he's do. He's
2: in. He's great. So, you know, and makes it better.
3: And I didn't know what I was like. You know, he's getting a prescription, so am I. Yeah. What are you going to say? That's personal. Yeah, you know? very intimate. And so, see, walking away, I was like, "Hey, man, I just, I really love all your work. You're just great." It's like, "Oh, thanks." Yeah. And you, know, you want to go? seem genuinely touched, but he is an actor.
2: Yeah. Right. But, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like he could have just thing. turned that engine
3: on right yeah, there. He's like, "That's what." Well, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Dick. Did that happen? <laughs> Did that? Happen I'm buying at- Vadisil. You're an <laughs> asshole. But you don't need a prescription for, so that makes no sense, that joke. <laughs> but it's like maybe super
2: high-end.
0: Maybe. Yeah, this maybe kind. Yeah. Maybe it needs extra strength. A maybe. potent strength. Did that happen to you a lot more when you lived in L.A.? Do you feel well, like just running into celebrities and stuff? I
3: didn't run into... Not in L.A., not really. I, I, when I first moved to L.A., this is kind of the best, in my opinion, first celebrity sighting <laughs> story, is I moved to L.A., and uh my my aunt took me to a fishbone show at the House of Blues mm-hmm. and we got there a little early, so we that's weren't... awesome by the way
2: just it was like
3: it was really cool, yeah, you know she's only like seven years older than me, so it's kinda like you know yeah, yeah, older sister kind of thing, but um. And across the street, diagonal was the the Rainbow Room, you know, and yep. rocks yeah, and all yeah. that. So I'm like, let's wander over the Rainbow Room. I've heard stories about that place. And we walk in and there's Lemmy just hanging out playing Miss Pac-Man. And he went, you want to play? And I was like, no. Oh, that's awesome. But that was the first celebrity setting I ever had in LA. And I was like, that's all right. Yeah, it's a, that's good a high bar to set. Yeah. You,
2: you also like walked into one of those stories from the Rainbow Room. Like yeah. Lemmy standing in the corner playing Miss Pac-Man. Just hanging out. You have that. Now you are part of a story from there.
3: All it was. Yeah. That's my one degree. That's great. I remember years later actually interviewing Kevin Bacon and I was like, I, I can't say it. I'm going to say it. It's nice. To, I'm one degree.
2: It's <laughs> <laughs> incumbent upon you. You have to.
3: Yeah. You have to at that point. I remember reading, he was telling a story about like, I used to hate it, but I'm like, wait, who else has a game? No one else has a game. I yeah, have dude. a fucking
2: game. Yeah. Yeah. I have a game. Own it. Lean into <laughs> it. I think it's great. I could see initially being like overwhelmed maybe by mm-hmm. that and being like, do I want to be the game guy?
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess that's sort of his, I feel like that's kind of overshadowed his certainly acting did. career a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if it still has.
2: It seems like he's kind of, cause I saw a commercial, I feel like, um, Last year, where he—I forget what it was for—but it basically was him owning. Yeah, that. oh yeah, it might have
3: been like an American Express something. Probably, yeah. yeah. Man, I, I, also heard that, I also heard that when he goes to weddings, that he has the footloose dance memorized still, and he'll do it like he's that cool about it. Is that's pretty amazing. Pretty, I'm pretty I, I Don't anyone quote me.
2: I think Ever. we are all quoting you now yes. publicly. <laughs> I think you just <laughs> you put it out. It's public records. I want to
3: rewind slightly. You mentioned like Jenny Owen Youngs and Laura Stevenson, who we've had on the show. and Toured and, with both and, of them. Yeah. And, like I was to say, like, that makes so much sense because we, like, all of you guys have that. I always get, you know, you mentioned Jesse Lacey and being a songwriter, but he's in a band brand new. Mm-hmm. But he's a great songwriter. Mm, you he know what is. I, mean? yeah, I
2: love what he does. Yeah.
3: And it's that weird differentiation of you know kevin Devine goes out and towards kevin Devine, but it's not like a band but you are a songwriter so Mm -hmm. is laura so is jenny you Mm -hmm. know what i mean that always trips me up where um when you write do you work with other musicians and have them you know add things arrange if you will usually how it goes and it moves around but like
2: i just wrote something yesterday we're doing this split single series all through the year and the first one came out in february with uh matthew from not a surf matthew cause the second one comes out in may with meredith graves from perfect pussy tiger's jaws after that and then i wrote something yesterday for the fourth one we haven't announced like the back end yet but so the writing process is fresh in my brain if you had asked me two weeks ago i might be like how do i write songs but um <laughs> i usually write a structure um, you know, verse chorus, pre-chorus, if there's a bridge or whatever. And then um, kind of map that out. If there's counter melody ideas or, you know, instrumental lead ideas, I'll kind of like demo those. And usually I present the other musicians. For this one, there's a bassist. The, the band I just toured with... Drummer Damon Cox, who played in a band called N Horse, this Australian band, and then um, the bassist is Jay Russo, who has bands of his own, Hopewell, Common Prayer, and he played in Mercury Rev for a while. Oh, wow! So I sent that. I, I try to send the other musicians like a pretty. It's an acoustic, or I don't know. There was electric guitar on it, but you know, there's no drums, there's no bass. I don't put like a drum machine or something to approximate what I think it should sound like. But I send them a pretty full sketch that's like and then i can kind of get when i i tell myself i'm going to start just with an acoustic guitar and a vocal and then they'll have an idea of the contours of the song and if i'm singing louder or playing harder that means someone has stepped on a pedal and the drums are louder and that's the rock part but then i end up getting lost in this thing where i i tend to Layer it and I'm sending like there's three part harmonies and I, I tr- like I forget the demo's a demo and I tend to make the demo somewhere between like a sketch and a releasable song. So I think and then you know, I know just using Jesse as an example, we worked on he produced this last record we made with us and he was like, oh, that's so different than how we write songs. It's, it's like I'll have like a riff or a chord structure and I'll just sit there and play it for two hours until it turns into a thing and I guess because I've written so much alone I don't do that that way I tend to like structure a song and then either pick the structure apart add to it but I kind of have like the beginnings of a song when I would show it to you I'm sure part of that is also some like bullshit perfectionist impulse to want to like I have this thing in my head that feels like I should be able to play a song for you half an hour after it's conceived, which is not real. Like no one's coming in the room with a gun and being like, it's time, you know, but, um, so I don't know. That's how it tends to, I tend to write them and then they get built up or stripped down. Or, how do you know when it's finished? Um, sometimes th- this is such a borderline hippie cop out answer. I think sometimes the song tells you when it's finished. Sometimes you're like, cause I, I try to not overthink it. If it's a pop song, it doesn't need a four minute, you know, deconstructed, you know, ambient jam section in the middle. It just kind of needs to like play a guitar solo over the verse chords. I, or... I like
3: to say that should be a uh, status quo for all tunes. It's <laughs> <That's> probably <laughs> true just for me. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, I mean I love that song off the record by my morning jacket. It was like from Z I think it was and it was the single and it had this weird kind of rock reggae feel that they flirted with something they should have never flirted with and it worked. Then the end of the song was like a 5 minute jam outro that was just kind of like something that should have been on like Hawaii 50. And I was like this is cool but also the song could have just ended on the last chord yeah i have that that tendency to for concision in that way with with those songs but and then sometimes something's i don't mind like neil young and crazy horse jammy built to spill jammy i can live with that but it's a fine line
3: it it really is and i always wonder what that differentiation is like we've mentioned so many times in the podcast like fugazi is basically a jam band you know what I mean? Totally has and, those yeah. And instincts. For as many times as I've seen them and I've seen shows that you're just like, Gah, stop.
2: This is I never awful. saw them. That's awesome. That they they have some shitty
3: them. shows, which I'm sure. Is, which is great. All bands do. Um, but there's, you know, you get to that moment where, you know, you're watching them and they're going back and forth, and they're just kind of the dueling guitar thing, and I'm sitting there and then I'll think, I can do this, but if this was you know, a string cheese incident, I'd want to kill somebody. Oh yeah. What is the difference? Yeah. You know? It always fascinates me.
2: Maybe, um, maybe the difference is in the information, like what the band, uh, what the band listens to, to get to that place. Or I also think maybe it's even in the skill level because Fugazi are all really skillful players, but they're all they come from punk. They're all kind of intuitive.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I almost think like too, if you're fish or if you're like if you're too good, noodly. Yeah. That's actually bad because you can just jam endlessly. Well, I, th- I think... Sonic Youth jammed in a sense. Oh God, totally. I've seen
3: that too, and you're just like, after a while, like, I get it. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, right. There's the first X minutes of that are cool, and then there's a part where you're like, I saw My Bloody Valentine
3: years ago do the um, the 20 minute Holocaust one chord wall oh, of noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where in your head, you'd go, kill me and then you're like okay uh, yeah i think it depends yeah because and then that- after a while you're like oh my god this is amazing
2: yeah right it kind of crosses yeah. over and circles back around again lots of hand gestures for a podcast today <laughs> i gotta chill out like it's closing right. my eyes we banking. have a sketch artist yeah. I,
0: th- I think it's a stylistic thing because yeah if it's like fish i don't care but if it's like jay mascus or doug meyer or tranny come from yeah. so form it's like i can listen to you solo for like four hours that's exactly stuff. right
2: yeah. yeah that's and those are the right people I-, I remember seeing a jay mascus show at south by southwest a couple years ago where he played alone with an acoustic guitar through a big muff
0: yeah i've seen him do that a bunch of times it's incredible it's and then audacious he rips these, dude he's solo yeah. it's like he's yeah. literally soloing he there's nothing acoustic, else happening
2: yeah. in the middle of a sort of sweet that's several several shades of y record i think it was and then he'd like rip a big muff acoustic guitar <laughs> solo and i was like i should hate this but it's fucking awesome i know
0: yeah. i know it's it's pretty good yeah
2: but I actually think I took us way the hell off course. You started to talk to me about before we went to SNL thing. Oh, I
3: think I was just... There's no reason to bring it back. Yeah, let it go. <laughs> yeah. Let it die. I think
0: I was just saying that's how <laughs> that's how we actually met or something. But yeah, I'd heard about you a lot through Dubin, obviously. Yeah. I think I've helped. seen
3: you play in, uh, a number of times, but I don't know. Probably well, through I, Mike Dubin. time how I met you.
2: Yeah, right. Dubin's been like a long term... He's a, He's my friend, but he's also... Prior to that, he was the f- one of the first people to ever like champion our music. Like that wasn't from my very immediate circle. I played a show in D.C. in 1999 with my band, and it was with a band that was about to sign to his Fadeaway Records mm-hmm. label, and they were like, "You should put out a record on this label." And I, that all it was just like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." And then we got home, and I think this was pre-email. I think Dubin called me or pre me having good email and dubin called me at my dorm room and was like on a landline and was like these guys told us you should you know we should hear your band and we went out and ate and that was probably 16 years ago and he's been part of he got weirdly weird stuff he kind of helped get me signed to triple crown records Mm -hmm. for my solo stuff before i knew anything about their label or 25 to life it was they were still i think they were still part of the it's picture that at that feldman point fred there? feldman yep. yeah good dude great and like mm. yeah one of a very dwindling community in the music industry mm. of like cool people who do it for the right reasons and are fair and smart and... i'm unfamiliar <laughs> i've never met any
0: no. i always i always bring up rick to life and 25 <laughs> to life to fred whenever i see him <laughs> yeah, i think it's so annoying yeah i can't help it <laughs>
3: It's perfect. I I played poker with him once in two. With Fred
2: Feldman or with Rick to Life? Oh, with Fred Feldman. Okay, (laughs) that would be awesome.
3: Nah, those days are done.
0: Um, (laughs) You know what's crazy too is Miracle of '86. I heard so much about. Like I had a perception, especially when I moved to New York or Mm -hmm. when I was in Upstate. Like, feel like they had a really big following as far as my perception of it. But was I wish that was your perception was reality? Well, I feel like that's a lot of bands from that era, especially Mm -hmm. like things are so locally based like i was like a lot of bands i wouldn't really hear about in cleveland and then you mm-hmm. come to the east coast and it'd be like i don't know movie life or whatever sure. like these bands are huge i mean but in reality that band what was it not really not huge so much.
2: i mean we it was weird because we didn't tour very much we played a lot in staten island new york long island Bits in Brooklyn and like, you know, we did Boston, Philly, D.C., but we didn't even go out to like Chicago or any of that. So we did a tour. We had a record called Every Famous Last Word that was like, I think, the good one. Like, I still like those songs. And that was 2003. And we did a tour with Sorry About Dresden. That was a Saddle Creek yeah, band. Yeah, dude, I listen to them all the time. Actually, yeah, I like. I really liked. Them, I like them too. I completely
3: forgot about that band. And what a rough name. Tough yeah. name.
2: And actually, we had one of their shirts uh, in Europe on the subsequent tour, and definitely like. I kind of wasn't thinking about. Yeah. It's a tough yeah, shirt should... to wear in germany no like, yeah S- that's
3: the what worst What is wrong
2: with you man but um oh god but they uh we they, the on that the war was done
3: yeah leave it alone
2: <laughs> <laughs> on that tour we went and did like chicago omaha uh we played in like the southeast birmingham alabama and atlanta and those were places we hadn't done we did south by southwest on that record and so that was like the extent of that band's touring life. And then we started to kind of build an audience and the band broke up fairly soon after that. But no, I mean, even in New York, I, I would if we we played Brownies, Mercury Lounge, Maxwell's, and they would not be like sold out shows. And when we, we did shows in 2013, they were those three places. So for our band, it was like, oh, these are the biggest shows this band's ever played, right. which was cool. It was fun to actually play those rooms and have them be full and i guess in the intervening 10 years like from i've done a lot more work so some of that you know pro the internet helps and some of the profile raised slightly but no not a big band <laughs> not a big band
3: well everybody has that oh shit they don't play anymore i missed that crap yeah, yeah. And, you, and you build it up there's um there's a, a book about the dc scene called a. Uh, uh dance of days oh yeah, yeah it looks yeah. awesome yeah it's great but like i'm from northern virginia and i've been to one or two of those shows and i was by no means cool my friends were right. a thousand times more but there's a couple of them i was like that was there it was fucking nobody at that show yeah yeah you know yeah, I mean? yeah and it just comes off that way yeah and it's, but it's interesting because you know you you build up in your head like whatever it is like i uh for everyone i know who saw the misfits in the 80s there'd be, their first response is
2: yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> not good. No,
3: no. Yeah. Don't, it's like, it's like, listen to, I remember listening to a Misfits bootleg in high school going, is this, is this all t- tuning? Yeah. Right. Is this that, is supposed to be cool. Yeah. That sounds awful. Songs are good. Yeah. they get to them. Right. 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 <laughs> I mean, that... I think
2: part of the thing with that perception, too, maybe in, a, in, a, in that scene, it's proximity in some respect. I feel like with us, we became when brownies used to do the sunday all ages matinee shows we kind of became the like band we were the like in-house opening band for any like touring emo or indie rock band that played those shows so maybe part of the perception is like we would be on bills with right right all those bands bright eyes cursive Raina maria and then all the long island stuff brand new and taking back sunday and so there was lots of, and we like Desaparecidos and Rilo Kiley and there was a lot of us playing with, there's a lot more. I mean, I could think of that we did, we did lots of those shows that were regional, but we never did tours with those bands, which right. would have been killer. But um, I was in school and I kind of didn't prioritize touring till I didn't really, really go out a lot until I was like 23,
3: four, five. What were you studying in school?
2: journalism and english and doing terrible yeah no
3: career with that that's right jonah Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) (laughs) it sort of seemed to me like either path was going to be like you might not make any money and it's going to be hard so it was like well let's try i love the music one and i like the journalism one Mm -hmm. so let's see how it shakes out and it's still shaking out yeah yeah Just is yeah exactly. Do you
3: write? I mean, do you like like when you say journalism? Like, what did you gravitate towards? Was it you know my my
2: like uh, I I think that I would have been really limited because I feel like you have to have. My brother writes about basketball for Yahoo, and that's a, a specific thing. And he's super knowledgeable and curious about it. And he's got a funny voice, and he's like growing in that world by leaps and bounds. It's awesome to watch, but. I was like, I'd write about something I was super interested in. And then anything outside of that, I was like flatline brain dead. And I feel like when you start in journal, like he got to that place, but he spent four years, like he was like a beat reporter for the Bay State Banner, which is like the African American paper of record in Boston. He was, uh, he wrote for like tech target, which is some super inside baseball tech website. Like you have to do stuff that's not just like, I want to write a think piece about Eminem. Right. Like you can't really start there in that, or my experience was not that. So I feel like um, I didn't have the like get down in the dirt, you know or the intellectual curiosity even to kind of be good at it i don't think i think i would have probably fallen off pretty early well,
3: there's that hard thing where they're like all right you know the the dues paying aspect of you have to write about stuff you could give two shits about right. it and make it sound like you are
2: right and the dues. i'm assuming
0: <laughs> yeah but i mean even in, in music it's like you have to write about so many bands that you don't care about that's right like, exactly. that's, you know, that's right like you're Point. like well yeah. i'm writing about music but i'm writing you know about exactly whatever finch you right
2: know. and that's why the- there goes
0: that podcast Thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> those guys actually already hate me so that's why <laughs> that
2: you was like this is a safe one
0: <laughs> yeah I wrote we some- have to get i up. wrote something and then whatever what do you want to <laughs> go there yeah i don't care i want to know um i wrote something about like looking back on the summer of screamo like that 2002 where it's like full collapse came out yeah and, like that used record and all that stuff Oh, I think yeah that's right and i wrote like a Piece kind of revisit that New York Times piece, and I revisited all the bands they talked about mm. and kind of what they were doing now thrice. And then Finch was in there too. And I said something like, This is a one band whose record like kind of doesn't really stand up. Oh, dude, I read this. Yeah, and yeah. It sort of got back to me that those guys saw that and like we're not psyched on it, but I stand by what I said. And, uh, and I'm that's... sure they're super nice dudes, but I mean, what but
2: you're not writing a super nice dudes review, you're writing about your how you your taste in music and your knowledge set right
0: and it wasn't like a personal thing I wasn't like and these guys are dicks no like I don't know them but I feel like that's the community has the
2: internet's made everything so small and things get back so quickly that I don't know. I kind of like reading stuff that's um, honest and critical, even if it's stuff that's about me, because it feels like people now feel like they have to be either either like too nice or like super hot takes that are just like um kind of like reflexive and nasty. So something that's actually thoughtful and it's like, you know, I don't think this is very good and here's why.
3: Right. Well, like you said earlier, qualitating is a big deal. You know. But I, I always got I'm this, this, is, this is awesome. You're it's nodding really again. Kevin if- is nodding
0: vigorously. <laughs> we,
3: we we have this podcast. We have to be the Foggy Nelson for Matt Murdock. Yeah, I think that set the tone everything. early on. Yeah. It, uh, I remember and when I was in college. Down. I was I was a theater major and I was directing plays and I loved it. And they would send like the our our university. Uh, they would send you know the journalists over to review the play from their mm-hmm. from the our university news organization and their point of view was these people are not theater majors that have to be able to talk about it as because they don't know anything about theater this
2: is exactly a thing as I was the arts editor at the newspaper so we were having opposite ends of this experience
3: yeah and i remember saying like well then you're all fuck ups and i could give two shits about whatever you send over and because i was like because you don't have any background on it whether because i want to give you a little bit which is what amazed me about jonah is jonah is a musician has played in bands tours does it and knows can talk about that angle
2: but see does that get you because that's part of the reason initially too i i think i wrote a review for pop matters about an, a 90 day men record and i didn't like it and i reviewed it vigorously negatively and then played a festival with them yeah. and i kind of realized like oh this might become it, it fairly quickly a conflict of interest
0: yeah it's it's hap- it doesn't happen as much to me when i was at ap it happened a lot because mm-hmm. i was like the reviews editor so i'd have yeah. to review tons of stuff and not like it and then it would the bands would play. And of course they would be playing with like my friend's band and, Yeah, like they'd try to call me out. Like I had, I had a thing with so many bands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and even when I was writing Stephen's show, there were some bands that would come in and Steven big like, Jonah's writing this show. And they'd be like, send him down here.
2: <laughs> really? <laughs> like, Did anyone ever actually say something to you?
0: That happened once, but that was my fault. Yeah. And, and <laughs> a lot, yeah. to be honest, <laughs> almost no one really said anything to me. Hmm. um, which is you know uh, very rarely yeah but um but yeah it was it's not really fun to like go to a show and then be like ugh these guys hate me right. like <laughs> i know i'm gonna have this some weird sucks. like i had someone from a band tell me i didn't know anything about music like and it's like i don't know man like i just want to be at the show yeah and yeah. It's, so it, it was kind of weird i don't and i don't really do a whole lot of like reviews anymore mm-hmm. and I, especially if it's a band i'm Friends with to me, it's like I just rather would not write about it whether I like it or not because yeah. it's not worth throwing away whatever I have, or not throwing away, but like it's not worth that awkward interaction for like 50 bucks. Like no. someone else can write that one. No, I, that's
2: and that's a pretty I think that's a good uh operating <laughs> baseline there. I because it's funny, I don't I just wrote something for the talk house about right. uh Dave Bazan's last record, which is him with the string quartet, and I'm a I, I've become friends with him and i 'm also I love what he does, and have for a long time, so the review was favorable, and the review was uh and they were you know Michael Tedder there was like he wanted that to be what i wrote and 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 like you know we you kind of go through this vetting process and you pick some things, and that's what we ended up landing on and he's not like a close friend it's not i don't think I would ever feel comfortable reviewing like a brand new record or a Manchester orchestra record or some bands that i've like played tons of shows with and Um, but I had this weird thing happen where even on his, on that record, and I think this is cool. Um, part of what the character of it is, his voice, he's got like a rasp in his voice that day. And part of what I liked was that it's like, well, some days that's the voice you show up with. And if you tour 180 days a year, someday you're going to have like, not the clear angelic Whitney Houston voice, but you're going to have like the, you know, rip in your throat. And he... And it kind of added this quality to it because there's these string arrangements and it's really beautiful. And then his voice was this other quality. And after I put it out there, I had this moment of like, I hope he's not going to be bummed that I called out the fact that his voice was... Because I meant it as a value-added thing, but it is calling attention to the fact that it wasn't perfect or whatever. And of course, he didn't give a shit. But I had this thing in my head about like, ah, fuck, did I like... I don't know, but that's part of a critical apparatus, isn't it? It's like describing the thing you're listening to. It's
0: insane that you bring up Bazan because I actually, I know it's coming up on 10 years if you put out that headphones record. Yeah, that's right. And I reviewed it for AP when it came out. And I am a huge Bazan fan too and was sort of, you know we knew each other and i gave it a pretty bad review right i actually like it a lot now that's but at actually the
2: time things move around
0: yeah too. and i was yeah. like i was like said something i was like Ugh, doesn't this guy know like this keyboard has more than one sound on it <laughs> like it was like and, and i and, and i remember i would always go see him and that was actually my review and i went to go see him when he'd put out that first dave Bizon thing that five song ep a uh, few moving fewer moving parts yeah. And he had just put it out and I was, he was like, Hey man, I saw your headphones review. Like, I really liked it. I thought it was really good. Like it was really constructive. Like, I think you really, thank you for pay- like, and I was like, he said this while punching him. That's the thing. That's yeah, he no, says. but it was, it was so nice because I had been dealing with so much shit about like this band hates you, this band hates you, like blah, blah, blah. And it was nice just to hear someone be like, I read this, not that like, I, I know what I'm talking about, but just like, it wasn't like, fuck you, man. Like. Well, it also
2: shows an understanding of the exchange. Like if you're going to make music and it's going to be, um, it can't just be like you're cool with the good reviews and you're like personally vengeful about the bad reviews. Part of the deal, if you're putting it out in in the world is, I mean, if you're going to like, especially if you're going to like have a a publicist or a label who's going to try to, if you're trying to get press, you then can't. Really, be pissed off about n- people who might not like it. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah, like I a-
0: do. But I think it's different. Like I think it's different in the case of you or Bazan or some. Like I guess for me, like musically, I play guitar in a band, mm-hmm. so no one's like this song's amazing except the panned right guitar. <laughs> this riff sucks. Like <laughs> why would Sino. Jonah pick this? Where it's like with you or someone like that, it's like it's your words. I feel like you're putting more of kind of yourself into it. So I understand why. It's easier to take it personally.
2: It does. It's not that it's... Of course, it's not that it's not personal, but I guess what I mean is like, unless someone's being vicious and personal, (laughs) right? if they're just being like, I don't like this music, well, you know, you're not going to please everybody. We just had... We did a tour as a three-piece, this last band one, and I was setting up two amps and putting like a slight delay to the second amp to make it stereo spread, take up more room... And we were loving it and it was really cool to play more lead lines and try to like fill in some, some space. Um, and like the one kid that, you know, you, this is also more about like a hundred people can say, dude, this is fucking great. And this one guy came up in Santa Ana, California. Like I went out to the is observatory to the merch
3: table. Yeah. It's a great venue. Yeah. I
2: like it there. I yeah. And this one kid came up as I went out to the merch table like 10 minutes after our set was over and he was like the first guy and this is two weeks into the tour but he came up and he said can I give you a piece of constructive criticism and all his girlfriend was there she put her head in her hands and I this my brain is like yes he can yes he can of course he can you're out here this is and he said can you please promise me that you'll never again tour without a second guitar player I missed many of the lines and I thought i was like screaming in my head like who the fuck do you think you who, you're the who, who made you the arbiter of what constructive criticism is who's to say <laughs> that's constructive criticism but instead i said well i can't promise you that because we just did it and it may happen again and you know our other guitarist is having a kid and we also kind of liked the way it sounded so i can't promise you that but you know i'm sorry if you didn't enjoy it and he said well Thank you, you know, and walked away. And I, want, I took that as a sign of personal growth. Now I'm talking about it in public, and if he hears the po- podcast, he'll be like,
0: he'll know. Kind of sounds but, like one of ours. Yeah. <laughs> it does. That happened to me recently about this podcast.
2: Do you mind if I give you a piece of constructive... It was like someone, the comic book guy in The Simpsons, basically. Yeah, some,
0: someone tweeted at me like, I dare you to do an episode of Gone Off Track where you don't say the phrase, I feel like. <laughs>
2: well, that's a really like fine point critique.
0: And I, of course, took it the totally the wrong way and was like, uh, I don't know, man, if it bothers you that much, don't listen to it. Is and that the wrong he, way to take that? I don't know. He wrote back. He was like, I, I don't think you saw the humor. Like, I think he was trying to be friendly and like joke around. Sure, But I immediately just took it super personally and was like- The internet's
2: weird like that,
3: though.
0: Yeah. The problem yeah. with tweeting and texting is yeah. you can't, and then you can't I tweet bad. sarcasm. No. You can't tweet. So then I felt like a dick. Yeah. So it's like, I how, can't How win. did that make you feel? <laughs> He's trying to set you up. That was good.
2: <laughs> I feel like I feel like it like made me like feel, feel like, like I feel
0: like now it makes me super self conscious yeah, about it. saying that, which is you can't you you know you can't produce in that environment. Right. So I want to apologize to that guy though because maybe maybe he's, I
2: don't want to apologize. To I feel like you don't need to. Way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All I'm right. wondering. And let's edit that apology out.
2: <laughs> um, this is a weird thing. Can I pause for a minute to pee?
0: sure (laughs) is that okay definitely we're gonna keep recording yeah yeah because we don't know how to shut it off yeah
2: it'll be so fast yeah yeah
0: go for (laughs) it so steven (laughs) i don't think this has ever happened
3: before no it has but we've always had the ability to cut it out but we haven't without brad
0: here yeah i listening i mean i don't i think we should just leave it alone let's talk Uh, i think we have let's talk about you I, i i'd spent I slept over your house last week. That's weekend. true. That's true. We saw
3: pianos become the teeth. They were, they In were amazing. And Gates and... Uh, Loma. Peretta. I can't remember. Paretta. I know it's Latin. Maybe. Sorry, guys. Maybe.
0: And uh, yeah, that was a fun...
3: That was fun. fun Jonah, Jonah got to wake up and uh, my children had been awake almost two hours before Jonah rolled out of the bed across the hall from them, <laughs> which was impressive because... I can sleep through anything, dude. You didn't hear the screaming of, Daddy! Which is followed by me going, "Your legs function. Why don't you get up out of bed and come
0: in here?" And I, f- I think my favorite part was when both of your daughters would just run halfway around the house, see each other, and shriek as loud as they could, and then run to the other side and do it again, and then just keep doing it. Yep, that's pretty much
3: it. That's why <laughs> it was so funny. That's why I I cut down my uh, cable package because I don't need a lot of the channels. I used to, I can just watch them run around and scream. Yesterday, I watched them. One explained to the other one how to jump. Okay, <laughs> you got to bend your knees and jump forward. And the other one would get up. They have names. <laughs> just get up next to like, okay, that's it. Bend your knees. Now jump. And they're jumping like off two steps while wearing, you know, rubber rain boots that do not adhere to the feet at all. And I'm just thinking, wow, if I was a kid, this would be so much fun. But right now, all I'm thinking about is impending dental bills. Yeah, they're they're so funny, though. Now, Ke- Kevin, we took the moment... What have you guys been talking la- about? To let you guys... Uh, the, the humor in my children. Jonah stayed over at, at my house this past weekend after a show and got to see full-on, basically my life, which is watching my four-year-old twins just... Be awesome and funny? They're hilarious. Uh, this morning, it got to the point where... And I kept telling my wife... Just you just have to ignore because if you keep saying stop saying the word but he's just <laughs> gonna keep doing it. It's never gonna stop. And I was so thrilled and proud and impressed at my daughter Kate because it was just like, yeah, we got to go, but and everything, <laughs> everything had <laughs> to find a way but to edit it. It. Yeah. And, and then I'm just dying laughing, trying to hold it in. And my you wife, have twins. I have twins, yes. Four-year-old twins. <laughs> and I'm sure
2: that's uh, amazing, and I'm also sure it's super challenging.
3: Yeah, I don't recommend it. For yeah. those of you who have multiples, I'm with you. For those of you who t- you have the possibility, have children one at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And you? Uh,
2: none yet. None yet. But married, and, and it's definitely on... It's a discussion. On, yeah, and it's, a, it's kind of advanced. Pulled the goalie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And so we'll see. I mean, and I, I, yeah. I think in my twenties, I definitely had a lot of like sociopolitical arguments against in my head about having a family, and 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 most of them delivered over like a dinner plate full of lines of cocaine, pontificating <laughs> at six in the morning. And so that's gone away. And so some of the the arguments are still there. Oh yeah. But all I know is one day it was like. If that was like a padlocked door at the end of a long hallway with no lights, now it's like well lit and it's open, and there's like mm-hmm. you know. Especially your twenties or
3: four, um stupidity and trying things that you're like, this can't hurt if I do it once.
2: Yeah, or for seven years. <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs> repeatedly, uh-huh.
2: but yeah, but I, I I I do want that. My brother just had a, a baby girl, and she's like, you know, I can't handle it at all. I'm just like staring at her, like rendered idiotic. I love you. I love you. I love you. I kind of like have no.
3: That's, that's kind of the moment when someone close to you. Because I was that way in my twenties. I was like children. Bah. Yeah. Right. You know, marriage. <laughs>
2: no way. Yeah.
3: And then I, I'm a rock forever, dude. Yeah. No yeah. way, man. <laughs> Nothing's gonna break through this wall. Right. Right. And then I had a you know like I had a number of friends who had kids, and I was like, cool, we'll have kids. I don't give a shit. And then yeah. one guy had had a son, and all of a sudden something shifted. Yeah. And I was click like, happened. okay, all right. This could be fun. Yeah. But then recently we had a conversation where we were out to dinner with both of these monsters. And I looked at one and I said, you're our trip to Japan. And I looked at the other one. And I was like, and you were my my dream to go to Israel at some yeah, point.
2: Yeah, right. Which is real.
3: It completely. Yeah. yeah. We're never leaving the house.
2: And, and uh, the thing that, because that, I, this is, I'm, I'm not going to not do music it's what i've i've kind of now it's at that and i'm sure you both know this and relate to this i feel like you're like far enough in the woods that turning around makes less sense than just keeping straight and i would rather do it than than do other things but it's also like now that's how i make a living in Mm -hmm. the world too so that's cool and i'm with somebody who i've known forever and that's not a issue or a question but i do I was initially kind of freaked out about like, how do you do that and do what I have a kid and do what I do. And then there's all these songwriters and musicians who do it. I wouldn't be like the first person to do it.
3: Um, I think now that the, 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 um, the terrain of touring is such that more bands are embracing, go out for a month home for a month, go yeah. out for a month, you yeah. know what I mean? Which and makes it, I have one of my wife's cousin's husbands is, he's in the jewelry business and he travels like 50% of the year. That's his job. So it's
2: Which is like what our job, I mean, yeah, I, I feel consistent. Like I've been away half the year at least since 2006 every mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how that. I don't know know if that would slow down. I mean, you could take an extended break, but I don't know if that would slow down. I'd just have to find different ways to do it. I think eight week tour is out the window if you're having a kid. I think you'd have to kind of break that stuff up into smaller bites. But how
0: long was the one you just did? It eight ex- weeks. Yeah, because I remember I saw you and you were like, "We should hang out or something. We'll be back in like two months." Yeah, <laughs> you
2: were like, "Okay, cool." <laughs> totally remember that. That sounds good. <clears throat> Yeah, I left like that was the weekend. I left that Tuesday and and did three weeks with Evan from Into It, Over It and Laura and then five weeks full band and um, Field Mouse is a band from Brooklyn and Dad's band from Jersey. They opened those shows. Okay. But and it like- was like two tours, kind of Frankenstein together and um, most of, like you know, we didn't play the Dakotas, Montana. Hawaii, Alaska, but I kind of think we played almost everywhere else. 45 states or something. Do
0: you hit a point like five or six weeks in where you're just like, I'm so over this. I just want to be in my bed.
2: Weirdly, what happened on this tour, maybe because it was separated, it felt like two different things. If I had done eight weeks of either of those tours, you know what I mean? Yeah. For sure. There would have been a point where you're like, it's just like hard to you know go into battle with that every day hard to get it up for that because there's a part where you're just like it you know especially when you're in certain places there's a patch of like i kind of like something about everywhere we go on tour but there is a patch of like the midwest for eight days when it's negative 10 degrees out that's bleak you know it's like it's light for four hours if it's light at all right and, you know you're not it's it's February in um Iowa City is not like the optimal experience, and there is moments where you're like you know the fifth night in a row when you're in a truck stop staring at the candy aisle and you go, what "The fuck am I doing here but there's also lots of moments first of all what I'm doing here is it's a choice secondly compared to almost every other thing I've, I've ever done for work or most other people I know have to do for work, it's an awesome experience and all that's they're They're both true at the same time, but this tour, because it was these two things wedged together, actually somewhere around six weeks, I just kind of like started drifting like coasting rather, or I wasn't bummed out. I was just kind of like anything that was happening too high, too low. I was just like, okay, okay. So maybe you get a little callous, but I still liked being there Our RV broke down We had to like reorient everything About the travel for the last week Like everything changed in like an hour And it was kind of like Went from like you're sleeping in the bunk To like pack up as if you're never going to see this thing again Because it's not leaving this parking lot in Houston And let's get an Uber to the airport To rent a minivan And let, you know like just figuring all this stuff out in real And call the support band to See if they can take the gear and the trailer All of that <clears throat> Yeah. All of that, maybe if it happened like the fourth day of a tour would have been like this manic. It was just more like, okay, (laughs) sort of like (laughs) collecting your shit and like one foot in front of the other. So in that respect, it was kind of good. But then I got home and it was like, yeah, it was almost like the range of color came back more. And I was like, (laughs) oh yeah, I don't know if I want to see this much. That is a
3: rough time to tour. You're not really following the summer. You know what I mean? No,
2: we did four seasons in like eight weeks. Oh my God. There was, was a literally 100 degree Fahrenheit swing between the coldest and the warmest. And they were separated by like 12 days. It's like 90 degrees in San Diego on the 10th of March. And it was like negative 10 in Iowa City on the 28th of February or something like that. So, but um, I don't, so that I think, yeah, that's, that's long. That's long without kids. That's long. Yeah single. That's a lot of I don't know how
3: bands do it. I, th- I find it deplorable, you know, it's like and, and I'm one of those people who like, yeah, when are you guys coming to my town? Right. But it's just, just like, oh my God, let, 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 leave them alone.
2: I kind of have a feeling <clears throat> it does some kind of weird disc defragmenting thing to your brain that even if you think you're fairly healthy about, I have a feeling like five years down the line from now, I'm going to be like, oh, I'm weird. Like this just kind of, because you're kind of living two lives. And then you're, like, trying to build technology, which is awesome because we can build those bridges. But it's also kind of, like, it's fucking weird to try to be in two places at the same time. And because even with that phantom attachment, you kind of can't. So I kind of feel like there's a... I bet that... I feel like there's a psychological strain that comes with it. And I can't figure out if I should try to make tour more like home or home more like tour. And I keep trying to, like... It's like a science experiment. Like, try this here, try this here, and see what, like, would normalize it. Because for me, it's the adjustments that are weird.
3: If you had the option, you know, to have the career without touring, would you bail on touring?
2: I don't know. I actually really like touring. A lot of people I know... I mean, I like aspects of it a lot. If I could be in a band, if if I was, like, a, a big enough artist that I could do maybe, like half as much touring but still do a couple months a year like i like going out on tour but 18 months into having records out it does feel a little different than it does you know at the outset it's like anything else if i get some separation from it i miss it but if i'm doing it i think since like the records came out in october of 2013 and I think the longest I was home for any stretch from then to like this past thing was a month, five weeks, something like that. That's like not long enough to really get rerouted and to miss touring. You just kind of feel like just as you're getting reacclimated at home, you go back out. What does your wife do? She is a, uh, she works <laughs> at a nonprofit healthcare services provider for HIV AIDS patients in New
3: York. So she's benefiting humanity,
2: yeah, whereas I'm slowly stripping away from it one <laughs> slice at a time she uh she used to actually before Boy, you we, married
3: up, didn't you yeah
2: Damn it. <laughs> yes, before we were it before that though, and before we were a couple, she sang in a version of the band on the first on like my second, third, and fourth records, she sang harmonies and played hit a tambourine and stuff like that, and still actually on the Evan and Laura tour, she came out to visit for a weekend, and I like you know talked her into getting up and doing a few songs and but but we toured together as a couple and i don't know how the fuck people do that
0: yeah i don't know how that well laura figured it out
2: yeah absolutely and i think also for laura she can go do a couple of weeks solo and mike can do other things and you can kind of then i just felt like i i married her i love my wife and i've known her since i was we weren't a couple for this length of time at all because it's insane but I've known her since I was 17. She knows me. I know her. But going on tour for like four months and then coming home, walking up the stairs and sitting on the couch and like looking at each other and being like, okay. There's a reason
3: Fleetwood Mac became what they are. Yeah.
2: Because it's like, what do you talk about? Like, I know what you've been doing every minute for the last... Four months and now we're gonna, you know. I, I right. think like
0: you don't want to be like, well, that one promoter is such a dick. Like, no, <laughs> you know, like, Like, ugh, oh, who yeah. cares?
2: No, I think it's like, even when at home, like you get away from your family for a couple hours a day to go to work or whatever. There's, you know, whatever. Absence makes the heart grow or when you're mm-hmm. fucking living on top of each other. It was also too many hats to wear. It was like, oh my God, bandmate, social circle sharing partner romantically roommate kind of your boss that's not kind of (laughs) well i mean in that instance i was kind of her boss oh
3: that wouldn't have worked out at all
2: no No. it doesn't work in either direction
3: yeah no so yeah it's got to be that partnership but i always say you know compromise is a nice way of saying that one of you doesn't get what they want
2: <laughs> that's yeah, that seems like that'd be really good on like a coffee mug
3: or a dude. That's that's marketing. why people are like your house looks. Like, when Jonah was over this weekend. He's like this place looks great. I'm like yeah,
0: I did fuck fuck all. Or or a compromise means that just neither of you got what you wanted. <laughs> I'm like the slightest bit colorblind, and that's always her go-to. Well, I you can't cute.
3: see anything. I can see everything. You're daredevil. Yeah, completely. <laughs> I have a radar sense that allows me to tell that that I know that's white. I know that pink is actually not white, but I, I know it. I can hear
2: it. it. Yeah.
3: yeah. I'm synesthetic. I'm John Mayer.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't want to be John Mayer. You can see colors. That's what he says. Yeah. He says that? I never yeah. knew that. I, was- knew it, I knew it was a thing. I didn't know that he said that. Yeah. Mm. he's a guy i would not want to hear jam for a long time even though mm-hmm. i'm sure he's a really good guitar he's player. a really great guitar player but, yeah, after but i'm a- not into that like it's kind of pentatonic like, no. whatever what's what cory
3: brandon say about bluegrass i th- i think you can attribute this to, to everybody it's like i get it you can hit every note
2: right right you know? right right <laughs> there's that. something about restraint it. that's cool too or a different kind of uh yeah you don't have to touch
3: everything yeah keith moon would not have worked in the beatles No, you know,
2: who there was some article recently that the drummer from did you see this? There was like a guy. It was in maybe it was like in Paste Online or something, but it was maybe the drummer from War on Drugs, but talking about Ringo as like this guy gets has been historically shit on for fifty years, is just being lucky to have been in the room, but also like he kind of wrote the book on how to like write play the right rock and roll drum part to make a song better. He was like the best drummer for those songs, which is no small feat.
3: Yeah. His thing was what you don't play is as important as what you do.
2: Right. And, and he, then they all made solo records and wanted him to play on them. So it says
3: something about that too. And he had the first uh, hit single of a solo beetle. A lot of people. Is forgot. that true? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, don't come easy. Oh yeah. That was him. And he's, he's not in the rock and roll hall of fame by himself.
2: I think he just got put in. Yeah. Oh, did he? This, this past one? weekend? Yeah, that might have
0: been why that article was. Written. My parents were there. Somehow, my parents got into to the. the uh, it was at the Barclays Center. No, it was in Cleveland. Oh, Cleveland yeah. oh, where oh. they live, and I, I somehow oh, right, yeah. they went to the. They saw some <clears throat> press conference Ringo gave. They were like, we were like second row. It was crazy.
3: That's wild,
2: but
0: yeah, he, yeah, I think he was just there
3: because the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is is necessary and important.
2: Yeah, yeah, and an actual you know arbiter again second time. God bless it, but. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it just touched the mic <laughs> it was by accident but i got the dirtiest look from brad <laughs> so sorry
1: it was before you know it won't be in the podcast
0: you'll edit that out
1: although you know we have plenty of recordings of you touching them the you know you? when
0: you have something just like sitting in front of your face for an hour and you're Le- you're thinking about what you're gonna say and you're not really paying attention. It's I feel like it's sort of normal sometimes to just like touch something.
1: Maybe you know what I should do for you? I should get like you know like those tassels like little girls have on their bicycle handlebars? Yes. I could just maybe dangle those off of your mic stand and then you know, when you're feeling like you need to think you could reach up and, and kind of Yeah fondle the tassel. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> I gotta get what color do, what color do you like?
0: Is there like a less creepy word we can use in tassel? <laughs> Fondle the tassel. Yeah. Is there? There's got to be another way to say that <laughs> that doesn't make my stomach feel weird.
1: Why do you? Why do you consider tassel to be a uh,
0: a creepy word? Oh my uh, god! John? Can we talk about this? I think that's like a a whole nother podcast. <laughs> uh, I don't. What know. happened to you? I don't know. In Cleveland. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Creepy, creepy Cleveland. <laughs> I was just in Cleveland working on the Alternative Press APMAs a few weeks back. Um, good to be home. Good to be home. Got to see a couple old friends. Got to see a lot of a lot of old... A few old friends from Cleveland, but a lot of old friends from, you know, AP, Warp Tour. Um, they had a 30th anniversary Alternative Press exhibit at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that opened. So got to go to that.
1: I've still not been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
0: You should go. And if you're in a band, you can go for free, but they make you prove you're in a band. <laughs> so we... Because we went with the United Nations last time when we played with Coliseum and they were like, you know, band, we're like, yeah, like, what's your website? And we're like, oh, we don't have a website. <laughs> and they're like, well, what's this? <laughs> and we're like, well, it's kind of anonymous. Not anonymous, but I was like, we don't have a big internet presence. And they're like, well, you have to prove. So they had to go to our Wikipedia page, which is accurate, luckily. Right. But they had to like go through all of our IDs to prove we match the names on the Wikipedia page. They
1: sat there with like, yes. on the computer and yes. looked at your Wikipedia page and looked at your IDs. Yes. Every person that's awesome
0: um but i'm sure I'm sure there's goops documentation i'm sure, and I'm sure they would have no idea that the goops are not still an active <laughs> band, so you could go for free, great.
1: how about my kids yeah mm-hmm. i think I think you could all go they're not in a band,
0: just i don't know you can you can make a fake <laughs> Wikipedia or a fake website and really save a few bucks yeah it would be very easy go. it was not it was, <laughs> the vetting process is not that difficult as long as it says your name in relation to a band interesting i wonder how many people try to say they're in bands though and aren't and they look it up and they're like sorry <laughs> like just because you have like a dumb haircut doesn't mean you get in for free <laughs> anyways who knows right who knows i guess we'll never know uh but yeah thanks to kevin divine for coming on the podcast. Uh, Check out his Divinal Split series. Check him out on tour. He's always on tour. He's going to the UK with the Front Bottom soon. So uh, check him out. Uh, donate to us on iTunes. Check us out on Twitter. Um, just tell your friends about going off track. Tell them. Tell them all about it. And we'll be back next Wednesday. Um, okay, bye. With podcast. Podcast.